Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Hannah Oliver, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther Faulkner. So for those of you who do not know, we are an informal podcast for women with intelligent and literary interests related to Christian doctrine and life. For those of you who don't know, Esther and her husband, Joey, are pre-field missionaries to Ecuador. And so today we're going to be doing a special episode. I'm going to be interviewing Esther about her and her husband's ministry. So Esther, would you like to say hello? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to be interviewing Esther, like I said, and we're going to start with, um, Esther, will you tell our listeners what it looks like for you guys to be called to missions? Well, would it look like for us to be called to missions? It's probably the longest. It's it can be a long story, so I'll I'll try and tell the condensed version of it. Um, so, Joey and I had heard about some short-term mission trips that our church was taking. They take um, some short-term trips during the summer, and we two and a half years ago we um, decided we were going to go on one of those trips, and it was going to be to Ecuador. So uh, we sign up, we go on this trip, um, we get to Ecuador, complete culture shock. We had both never flown on an airplane and we had both never, of course, been out of the country. So um, big culture shock. When we got there, we still kind of felt like we were doing the Christian thing by being, quote, you know, missionaries for a week. And we were kind of just checking that box and and doing a nice little Christian thing. But when we got back, I believe that's whenever the Lord kind of started stirring in our hearts, you know, remembering, um, remembering what we saw in Ecuador. And that included the people of Ecuador. Ecuadorians are very hospitable people kind of think a really Southern like grandma is like, you could, possibly see a similarity between that and old grandma and like who's like welcoming you into her house to like an Ecuadorian (laughs) that's a weird picture but that's what I think of (laughs) Um, they're very hospitable they have a very welcoming attitude however majority of them are Roman Catholics and they're not really even true Roman Catholics they kind of only in name only are they the Roman Catholics. They just, they were evangelized at one point and that is the title that they were told that they were. And that's what they go with. So do they go to mass or anything or? Um, no, they don't. Most towns will have like a, a Catholic missionary who will come and basically convert, convert the whole town to Catholicism catechize them for a little bit and then leave but they don't like disciple them or anything no no they just tell them they're all catholics and then they leave and tell them not to listen to the evangelicals (laughs) when we got back to the states and we started thinking you know remembering what we had seen in ecuador um god kind of used that to you know recognize like the lostness in ecuador I mean, we kind of felt like we needed to be doing more, but we kind of thought it would be in the future. We were engaged at the time and he had just bought a house and had a great, you know, mortgage plan for it. And we were like, you know, we'll get married and then we'll be here for 12 years until we pay off our house. And then we moved to Ecuador and we kind of entered a season of being, it almost feeling like disobedience 
that we were um, making excuses. And it finally came down to one, um, one evening we had a conversation. It began as an argument, but it turned into, we decided we were gonna pursue missions now. And whatever that, we didn't know, you know how soon now was, but we were gonna try and you know, do the research and make the steps to see what that would look like. First thing we did was we presented that to our elders to, you know, see if they would examine us to see if, you know, were we truly being called or was this just something like, you know, a want of ours to go and and live there? Or were you even qualified to go? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, So they took, it was, it was about a month and a half to pray about that and do some examining. We prayed during that time. The reason why we went to our elders is just we knew the model of Acts 13, which it was the church sending out the missionaries, not missionaries deciding, I'm going to go be a missionary in this country. Church, I need a check. Bye. (laughs) Um, We knew we didn't want to do that. So we submitted to their authority in that. And about a month and a half later, uh, they got back to us and did affirm our calling and went ahead and gave us the okay to start submitting our application for our missions agency. So basically us being called, it took a lot of prayer, um, looking at the biblical model um, in Acts 13 and seeking wisdom from our elders. All good things. So you kind of already mentioned a little bit about the hospitality of Ecuadorian people, but what's the culture like apart from just Roman Catholicism by name, um, I guess you could say, what's the predominant worldview? Do they have their own religions as well that have kind of been set aside? And why Ecuador? Ecuador is a South American country. It's in South America. It's like a lot of other Latin American countries where instead of a trust justice culture like we have in the United States, where we think that justice is important and truth is important. Um, even the secular world, you know, operates that way around us versus in a lot of Latin American countries, they value uh, their cultures. It's called honor shame. So they would rather not have justice or truth and bring honor to their family, which means if, for example, if you needed directions or you needed to know how to get somewhere, if you went to an Ecuadorian and they didn't know where where it was there, you know, you know that you needed to get to, they would give you directions because if they said that they didn't know, that would be shameful. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that kind of <laughs> makes sense. Where an American would value the truth. Right. To be willing to say, I don't know where it is, mm-hmm. and point you maybe in the direction of go to that gas station around the corner, they might be able yeah. to tell you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So that's a big cultural difference. Also, like a lot of other Latin American countries, um, compared to compared to our culture, uh, time is is like so. There's a joke, an Ecuadorian joke, or really, I guess it could be any Latin American. um, You want to? It goes. If you want to hear an Ecuadorian joke, schedule, and that's the joke because they don't have a concept of schedule. So those are two big cultural different things. Um, you mentioned, you asked about different religions. 
Um, there is a big, I guess, blending where uh, they will take Roman Catholic rituals and indigenous like Inca, Incan beliefs where they might start off praying to Mary and they might throw in some, they might address the Inca earth goddess in their prayer, or they might use the indigenous relics. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of blending and that's actually in, in some of the, the Ecuador has, has four basic places. They have, cause they've got four different um, regions, so to speak. They have, uh, the jungle, which is along the Am Amazon near Peru. Uh, they have the Sahara, which is like uh, the mountains and the highlands. Then they have the um, the coast, which kind of looks like California. <laughs> and then they have the Galapagos Islands. Um, so there's four major, you know, areas. areas and the places where the Roman Catholicism and the Inca indigenous beliefs mix is the Sahara where we're going and the jungle. And I guess I would have another question about worldview since they do kind of have a blend of Roman Catholicism and indigenous religion. Is their relationship to God more fear-based or, I mean, it is Roman Catholic. So I'm trying to think of what their culture it is, is like. It is pretty, pretty fearful. Like, even with, you know, the, the Inca gods that, you know, that they've had in their past, it was always a fear relationship. And then you add in Roman Catholicism, they fear adult Jesus, but they love Mary and Mary's child. They don't connect the dots that Jesus as an adult, you know, oh, that's and they are the same. Yeah. So there is a, a real again, that kind of goes with the, the honor shame culture where it's not a, a relationship aspect with Christ. It's shame and guilt. And the honorable thing to do is to don't anger any of the gods. <laughs> um, and they kind of, with all the, the blending of beliefs, it's kind of, they pray to whatever works. So whatever so. is kind of producing a good result, mm -hmm. wh whether it's having children or planting your crops and making sure that it's going to rain or making sure yeah. your livestock survives. And yeah, that year you have a bad livestock year. Maybe you should stop praying to Mary and pray. Yeah. Like they, there's a story I heard about um, some fishermen who were not catching you know, fish this one year and they went out and like held a, like a giant, I think it was like a giant cross in the water in a certain area. And short time after that, there was a whole bunch of fish there, but it turned out that was just when the fish of the certain species migrated there. So, so they're kind of relating the, the relics. Element, yeah. Yeah, the relics. Uh -huh. Are they very superstitious? Do you know? By yes. That? Yes, they are. <laughs> So what will you be doing once you get to Ecuador when you guys finally have enough funds and are able to go? So once we get to Ecuador, hopefully we will have uh, a year's worth of language under our belt and be able to communicate decently. Um, we're going to be paired up with another missionary couple there to intern for could be six months to a year to get just acquainted 
in the Ecuadorian culture and have a couple there who has gone through the same thing um, because we're going to be there long term. So really six months to a year interning under somebody is not going to be a long time in the grand scheme of things. Um, so that we'll be able to, to mentor under them and see how they church plant. Um, we'll be continuing our education. Joey will be continuing his Bible classes. So we'll be able to hopefully progress to where we'll be able to lead church planning. Okay. And so where will you guys be living when you get there? So uh, we went on a survey trip in October, this last October, to kind of get a, I guess it's not pinpointed exactly which city. But an idea. Um, a target. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have a Providence down. Uh, there's a couple of different city options for us. We won't immediately go straight into living in villages because it's just, you have to be invited in. Um, and that can take years. So we'll probably be living two hours away from where our church has been ministering to over the years and just make regular trips up to the the villages. And the villages are in the mountains, correct? So you would live in the valley? Yes, yes exactly. And mm-hmm. it, you have told me in the past, but to get up there, you'd have to drive up a narrow road up the mountainside, correct? Yes, very narrow. <laughs> And what, what will you specifically be doing? So if you're living at the base of the mountain and you're going to be ministering to the people in the mountain, what is your long-term goal for these people? So what that hopefully will look like is um, evangelism. Uh, with the hospitable culture, it's very, um, very similar to like in the U.S. how you would have like a small group or like a in-house Bible study. That's what regular church looks like in, in the villages there. Um, they'll normally, you know, share a meal. Um, and what we'll be going and doing is, uh, there is a, a church and, a a pastor who our church has partnered with, um, and this Ecuadorian pastor and this Ecuadorian church have committed to going up to the villages every, every other month, or they try and do it once a month, um, it depends on the rainy season because it can get harder to get up the mountain. Um, but they have committed to going and doing kind of door-to-door evangelism and kind of having nightly services to where if people are interested in hearing more, they can come and listen. There's actually been a few men in some of the villages um, who have expressed interest in wanting to be be a leader. They're very young Christians, um, but they want discipleship. Um, so we're hoping we'll be able to come alongside that pastor, that Ecuadorian pastor, and be able to help him in efforts of planting a church in those villages in order for one village church to go to another village church or another village to plant a church. So I guess I have a question about the village sizes, how many there are and what they're called. And are you specifically only going to be ministering to one or many um, in the beginning or long-term are you looking to minister to multiple? So when I say village, it's probably um, one village could be 30 families. It could be up to, that might look like, you know, a hundred hundred members. I know of seven or eight villages that we visited during our our first short-term trip there. 
Um, I know that there's more because it just seems like as you keep traveling down this dirt road, it turns into just like a, a pathway and people just have settled in these in these mountains. It's kind of hard to, to range how many there are total. Do, do they spread themselves out fairly far? Or? Yeah, yeah they, they spread themselves out. And they're not related necessarily or... They're not related. It tends to be like a couple different families will stay in the villages. Um, They might, somebody might marry somebody in a different village. They do call the the communities villages themselves. Um, So that's not like us just calling them a village. The way that they kind of operate is there, there'll be a a president, which kind of is like the mayor of the community. And that president will be, it's an elected position. So they do like a small election for that person. They can vote them out. They have village meetings, kind of like your town meeting. They can kick people out of their villages. And there's actually a few families that we know of who've been kicked out of their, their village for being, um, for no longer saying that they're Catholic. Oh, um, for becoming Christians and they have to kind of live in between villages. So it's really isolated for them. Um, so what we hope to do is kind of, it's really, it's hard to gauge exactly what we're going to be doing in a year and possibly a year and a half with our internship um, in language school. It might be completely different whenever we get to Ecuador um, in those villages. There may already be a church established but right now there isn't. So our goal is to be working alongside that pastor and his church. It is a Baptist church. Um, so we agree full on with, with beliefs and everything and helping with the church planting efforts that he's and his church are trying to make in the village villages. They're working in, in three right now, every time that they go up there, they kind of try and visit additional villages um, just doing kind of like street evangelism. Primarily, there's this one village um, that's the one that we've seen uh, men who have stepped forward and said that they wanted more training and they want to serve as spiritual leaders. So we're hoping that those men will be qualified for, you know, eldership and be able to be um, set apart as pastors eventually. So, and and with our, our missions agency, we have connections with other missionaries in Ecuador. There's seven other units and some of them are, uh, some of them are doctors. Some of them are working like with med, you know, medical uh, missions. Um, one is doing a police ministry. Um, then there's church, there's a church planting couple. And then there's one, it's a new one where he is, he's working with, uh, the, the acts and acts, 29 ministry. Yeah. Where, um, they're working to equip, um, pastors. Yeah. 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 And they're working to equip pastors who couldn't afford, you know, formal theological training with at least some training. Okay. So, um, we, we would be able to, to connect men in these villages with resources to where they'd be able to go get some form of theological training. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah. So you've already mentioned that your home church is sending you, which is Troy Church, correct? Correct. And what missions agency are you going with? 
we've been appointed with ABWE, which is Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. Okay. Um, they're based out of uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, or New Cumberland, Pennsylvania, to be really specific. It was founded in the early 1920s, I believe, 20 since 27, I think. It was founded on um, some missionaries who were, I think they were in the Philippines, who were told by their mission board, I believe they were on medical mission trips, um, and they were told, stop, stop doing evangelism and focus on medical missions. Um, and they did not like that. They knew that the gospel was supposed to be at the forefront and evangelism and discipleship was supposed to be at the forefront. Um, so they left that mission and um, started and started ABWE. That's what, that's where it came from. Um, so we really liked the, the back story to ABWE. Um, we also lined up on beliefs we really, really, probably the biggest thing that tied us over for choosing ABWE was the, the relationship and the emphasis that they placed on the local church. They recognized that the local church is our authority. Um, as missionaries, it's not, didn't have the attitude, um, you know, thank you for the missionaries by local church. It was, you know, they, they want to come alongside Troy Church, our church, they want to come alongside our, our elders because we're the we're one of the first long-term missionaries sent out by our church and, and um with with the experience that ABWE has had, they work as as a as a tool, not as local. as our authority yeah, not as our local church. So we really, really appreciated that and that's ultimately why we decided to go with ABWE. That's awesome. One more question that I have about ABWE is how large they are, how many missionaries they have under their umbrella. So I believe the last time um, I looked at the website, I think we just hit like a thousand missionaries worldwide. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. So what are you and Joey both doing as of today to prepare to go to Ecuador? So like you said, um, in the beginning, we're considered pre-field missionaries, which is anything before a missionary hits the field. Um, so right now we are doing a lot of preparation that includes educational kind of benchmarks that we have to meet. Um, we've got to do uh, a few like research projects about the, the culture in Ecuador just, just to prepare us for, for ultimate like culture shock. We have a couple of Bible studies that we have to lead um, certain types of people through. We have a lot of books to read. Um, we're taking a methods of Bible study class right now. We've got three more classes for both of us to take in June. We'll be in Pennsylvania the whole month of June, trying to knock all three of those out in four weeks. Also, uh, trying to form our partnerships, uh, prayer partners, our financial sponsor partners, so that we'll be able to be supported. Our educational benchmarks match with our, like our fundraising or our financial benchmarks. Like um, our goal that we're trying to hit right now is 50% of our education and 50% of our financial support by June 24th. Then 
we're supposed to be hitting. We're trying to hit 85% by October, and then our goal is 100% by December 31st, so we can leave January to Costa Rica for language school. Okay. So that's kind of the, the, the goals. <laughs> so you had mentioned that you have uh, partnership development. You're trying to hit 50% by June 24th. What are the other benchmarks? Uh, how much money do you need to raise? Where are you at right now? And uh, what type of support are you guys looking for? Just explaining it can kind of go over your head whenever you start explaining it. So we'll be able to link like our actual financial breakdown so you can see what money goes to what. Because um, I think that's really helpful for, for people to look at. Um, so we have a, a monthly need that we're trying to raise. Um, that's money that goes to our ministry. Um, it'll go to our housing, our salary, and our insurance. That's 5800 um, monthly. Um, right now, we're at 28% of that. Which is like people who pledge to give to you monthly, correct? Right, right. Because you need that for the entire time that yes. you're in Ecuador. And yes. one more question before you keep going on. Are you guys planning on working when you get there or being supported mainly by who sent you until a local church can support you? We will be completely supported on that monthly that we raise. Just the, the church in Ecuador, even the one that we're partnering with, do not have the financial means of supporting uh, even, even their pastor. Okay. So right now, right now with, with just the cost of living there and the, average, the averages on the field, it's going to be coming from our supporters back in the States. Okay. So this is very long-term. If yes. someone were to commit to give to you monthly, they're committing in a way to life because you intend to be there until you die, I assume. Yes. Either either we die, the Lord leads you to no longer support us. Um, that's, that's what we're asking. <laughs> also, we have, besides our monthly, like right now we have 28% of that uh, monthly coming in. Um, that's not going to us right now. What that's doing is that's pulling into our, it's called Outfit and Passage. And that's a one-time fund that is our initial moving costs. That's a little over $50,000. That, that is supposed to cover our customs, language school in Costa Rica, um, setting up our housing, passage, vehicle, and support reserve, which is if for some reason we can't get a hold of our money, from the States, we'll have a reserve there to where we wouldn't have to go without for a okay. month. Okay. Um, so like I said, that 28% that we're, we're, we have pledged of our monthly is going into that outfit and passage. And we actually have 30% of our outfit and passage already um, okay. saved up from that 28% and some very generous um, special gifts from, from individuals. Okay. So you had said that right now you're shooting for 50% by June 24th. Uh, when are you looking to be a hundred percent ready to go fully funded? A hundred percent where our goal is December 31st of, of this, this year. Of okay. this year. Mm -hmm. okay. So you're 50% of the way almost and you have a ways to go. So yes. <laughs> what are you and Joey most excited about when you think about this upcoming year? Um, so, well, this upcoming year, really see, finding out who God has for us to partner with, because we you know God is sovereign, and that if he's calling 
us to Ecuador, then he's going to make a way for us to get there and, you know, get us to meeting our benchmarks and his timing. Um, There's some couples, they get to get to the field in a year or less. There's other couples, it might take five years. The couple that I know that it took them five years, their favorite part of ministry was pre-field. Right now, we've really enjoyed pre-field because we've been able to talk to people about what God's already doing in Ecuador, even without us there, and been able to to give them a way to join in on the labor because they might not have been called to Ecuador or even, you know, any foreign missions, but they're able to help those who are um, kind of like the, the illustration of holding the rope and they're going into the ditch or whatever. Like you're the support person holding the rope. And right. The other person's letting go. Over yeah, the ditch. exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yes. Just a way for everybody in the body to be able to, you know, have a hand in the Great Commission globally um, is, has been really awesome. To show people, like, you don't have to be necessarily a missionary. You can yes, exactly. Support a missionary or be a missionary at home. Yeah. But we all have, yeah. like, kind of a thing. Yeah, and we've been able to to encourage some churches to do looking towards doing short-term mission trips because that that was a way that God used to show us that we were called to long-term. Um, and once we get to Ecuador, we can't wait to have, um, you know, short-term trips come to us because that's, that's what God used to, to call us. So we would love for some more people to be called down there. <laughs> so I guess my next question would be what you're most nervous about. So... What I'm most nervous about, like, for this next coming year um, is not meeting what what we, you know, our goals. Um, like I said, we know that God's sovereign will get there in his timing, but feeling like we failed if we don't hit those bar- if those marks. Um, also, once we leave for language school, we'll be gone for a while and we won't be back. Uh, for a while. Um, so we'll be leaving family, a lot of family behind. Um, and I, I've got a, a new baby brother on the way and I won't be here when he's little. So that's kind of, I get, makes me I'm not so nervous, but something that I'm not looking forward to missing. Like a sadness um, about leaving. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm so thankful that we live in a day and age where we're able to, me and you are able to Skype from Alabama to Arizona and we'll be able to do the same in Ecuador. Um, but there's still, there's still something missing, you know, with a, with a real life interaction with, with family. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then also once we get there, the, we've been warned and warned and warned about culture shock and culture barriers, um, kind of really sad stories about going people going to language school and once they graduate from language school they forget things and are asked you know using vocabulary that they're not familiar with and feeling like language school was a waste those are things that I'm nervous about (laughs) I understand that that it's going to be difficult I mean you're going into a completely different location geographically Mm -hmm. uh culturally yeah. A- another thing is just the, just pra- thinking practically of wanting a family one day, the, the difference in the culture, um, like 
hygiene is just completely different there. We might not be bathing for days at a time and eventually having a family that's, that can make you a little nervous. <laughs> this is totally random, but do they have like local grocery stores? Because I would think as Americans, we have so many creature comforts um, uh-huh. <laughs> from hot showers to grocery stores to air conditioning. I'm just wondering how much you'd lose. Of well, okay. So like with the, the different regions in Ecuador, the, the place that we fly into Quito, the capital is it, it looks like a really, really dirty Atlanta. Um, like feral dogs just wandering on the streets. Um, they do have grocery stores. They have malls. Um, they have really nice malls. Like Joey and I went to the mall here in Alabama, um, in a city and we were like the mall in Ecuador is like 10 times nicer than this one. <laughs> um, they'll even have grocery stores in their malls. Okay. Um, but the, the people in those bigger cities, they're actually called, um, mestizo, which is mixed. Okay. That could be, that could be Ecuadorian with, um, like, uh, Spanish European European, which is a completely different culture than in the Sahara and in the mountains where it's more, they're called Quechua in the mountains. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> um, they're called Quechua, Quechua culture. They have a more traditional dress. Um, they are predominantly farmers. They'll grow animals, um, very different classes. It's very low class um, people group. It's just complete, Ecuador is so diverse because you do have, you could almost, you could almost say that it, it's very similar to the United States in, in bigger cities in Ecuador. But when you start traveling outside of those bigger city, cities, the culture just completely changes. Um, so some places there are grocery stores. The one city that, that we kind of like, that we th- would like to live in, they did not have a grocery store. They had uh, like a grocery shop where they had like a giant pig on a forklift kind of or claw thing and people just came by throughout the day and just cut off their meat. Oh, um, they had livestock markets um, where you can buy goats or chickens or cows. And then they have, they do have giant farmer's markets. That's kind of like, that's where they get their food is these kind of farmers markets um and they're just they're massive i don't think i've ever seen a farmers market as so big in the in the states all right so i guess my last question to wrap everything up is how how can christians who are not called to foreign missions help you get there why should they partner with you and how can they so big thing that we're asking people to do is connect us with other people, other individuals or churches that might be interested in hearing about our ministry and what God's doing in Ecuador. Um, we're willing to travel, <laughs> um, but getting more connections um, is definitely some is a way that, that people who are not called can help us in doing. Um, another thing is partnering with us. That might be financially, that might be in other ways. Um, we've, we've even had a, we've had a family who, volunteered to design our prayer cards for free 
we had another family offer to hand out um, our newsletters. Our, we try and do like a quarterly newsletter um, just to give updates on like where we are with um, ministry. And th that family even offered to hand those out at their church. One church even had like a little display where they featured like missionaries and they put them on their little table. And that's a big help for us. That's a way that you can partner with us. And then um, financially, we have a couple of different options. We have uh, our monthly need, which is what we're really pushing for right now is finding our monthly partners, those who are committed to supporting us financially monthly. And then special gifts, those gifts go towards um, our outfit and passage costs. Um, so those are the two financial options that we have. Lastly, of course, prayer. Prayer that we can, that we'd be led to more partners, um, that we would be led to more people who are interested in hearing about Ecuador. Prayer for us during this pre-field season for endurance in our in our studies, in our education studies, in our meetings with part, you know, potential partners. And then um, we always want to ask for prayer for the, the pastors in Ecuador, uh, the missionaries who are already down there, and the new believers um, that we talked about earlier. So those are really some, some prayer requests that we would appreciate it if you, if you guys would pray for, for us. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing, Esther. Um, a lot of exciting stuff going on. For those of you who have joined us and listened to Esther's whole story and what they're hoping to accomplish and as they continue studying and preparing themselves, uh, like Esther said, just be praying for them. I want to end with an encouragement that we are all called to be missionaries. Jesus when he ascended, told the disciples in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so while you hear Esther's story and you are encouraged with what the Lord is doing in Esther and Joey with sending them, Lord willing, they will make it to Ecuador and end up on the field um, sooner than later, but that you too can also do something like Esther said, whether it's support them, support a different missionary, do evangelism with your own church. Um, there are lots of different ways to reach the lost, but that we are all called to make disciples of the nations, whether it's your neighbor or globally like Esther's doing, I hope it encourages you and stirs in you a greater desire to see people come to the Lord. So again, we thank you for joining us and we hope you join us next time.